people want this list of like, these are the foods you shouldn't be eating because maybe they feel bad if they eat those foods because they've always read that that's not healthy. And honestly, like I feel like a lot of foods can fit in a healthy diet. And when we put these foods on a pedestal that we're not supposed to be eating and we berate ourselves for eating bad or not eating clean, that's kind of when we end up overeating those foods. I've heard it been called the last supper syndrome of like, well, I'm gonna start dieting tomorrow. And so today I'm gonna eat really bad. Knowing that you have access to those foods all the time and that you don't need to go on a diet tomorrow or a cleanse or whatever allows you to actually like enjoy those foods and know like psychologically you're gonna be able to eat those foods whenever you want, um, which I think takes a lot of the pressure off to overeat and um, you know, kind of binge eat those foods that are off limits the rest of the year. That is Lizzie Kasparik, and this is the WellMind Podcast. Hey everybody, welcome to episode 10 of the podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Ben Coles. Thank you so much for choosing to spend some time with me today. So how's your nutrition? Maybe more specifically, how are you making decisions when it comes to food and eating? I've invited my friend Lizzie to help us sort through some of this in today's show. She works for Sanford Power as a registered dietitian, providing nutrition consultation for athletes across the lifespan. She's an athlete herself, focusing primarily on endurance running. And she understands what it takes to fuel properly to get the best from yourself. We begin this episode with some general discussion around the services that she provides and how people often come to nutrition through diet plans. Lizzie offers cautions about focusing too much on weight loss, and she promotes a well-reasoned approach to eating that can fuel us for living an active life. She dispels some of the big myths around nutrition and offers actionable tips for eating well. We also dive into the dangers of restricting, binge eating, and other disordered eating concerns. And we explore some of the emotional and cultural facets of food and nutrition. Lizzie approaches nutrition from a sensible, balanced, and well-researched perspective. So sit back and enjoy episode 10, Fueling for an Active Life. Well, hello, Lizzie. Thank you so much for joining me on The Well Mind today. I'm looking forward to our conversation. Uh, thanks for being able to give up some some of your time to to visit with me. Yeah, thanks for having me. I'm glad to be here. Awesome, awesome. Well, to start things off, I think it's good if you can just do a brief introduction of yourself, kind of tell us a little bit about who you are uh, personally, professionally, and a little bit about your background in uh, nutrition and kind of the athletic world. Yeah, so um, I live in Sioux Falls, South Dakota. I am a sports dietitian. So I work in a sports training facility um, uh, at Sanford Power. I technically am a registered dietitian. So um, a lot of people have questions about that. What's the difference between a dietitian and a nutritionist? So technically I went to school and got my master's degree and kind of specialized in sports diet or sports nutrition. Um, and so the majority of people that I work with are athletes. So if I work one-on-one -on -one, 
with people, which is part of what I do. I kind of see everybody from middle school athletes and their parents all the way up to like 70 year olds who are super active and interested in, you know, setting new PRs for running or triathlon or um, just general wellness clients too. So I get people who have maybe like a weight loss goal or they're trying to get into running or um, they're just working out at the gym and they know that nutrition is a, a component of um, their workouts and their goals. So um, yeah, I kind of see a broad variety of people, but mostly active people, um, and then mostly healthy people. So some dietitians work mostly in like a clinical setting and um, see people that have different health conditions. I see mostly healthy people who are interested in improving performance or health or nutrition. Awesome. Awesome. Yeah. So uh, tell me a little bit about what attracted you to this field and, and kind of what piqued your interest here. That's a good question. So um, I kind of tell people that what brought me to nutrition was um, training for marathons. So I started running marathons in college. Um, I was pre-med for a really long time in college. Um, and I went to college for like way too long, but I was pre-med. And then my senior year, um, I kind of was like, I don't know, I don't really want to go to medical school. You know, I had taken physics and OCHEM and like these classes that I really struggled through. And I never thought I was really good at science. Um, like I just, I never, it never clicked. I was in a lot of tutoring. I spent hours at, at OCHEM tutoring. And then, um, but I had kind of been running marathons and starting to realize that nutrition played a role in that. And then I said, you know what, I'm going to be, I'm going to go into nursing. Um, so I declared pre-nursing. And as part of that, I had to take a nutrition course and I didn't even know what a dietitian did, but I really liked the nutrition course. Um, I kind of took like intro to nutrition, which is what I teach now at the university level at the same time that I took biochemistry of nutrition. And it was like the first science class that I took that I was like, it clicked. Like I was like, this makes sense. It's, you know, it's, everybody does it. And I always tell my students that too, that it's so weird that nutrition is something that you do multiple times a day. Like we eat three times a day, hopefully at least. Um, and, um, it's something that everybody has to do. And yet we don't really learn about like the science of nutrition. Um, and I probably would have never learned about it until you know, that it took that intro to nutrition. Um, so it's just, it's so interesting in that way. And then when I, you have to, do a dietetic internship to become a dietitian. And I didn't really, I was like, again, I don't know what a dietitian does. I, um, I, uh, I guess applied for these programs kind of late, like everybody in the nutrition department at that time, they had been, you know, in nutrition club and volunteering at the hospital and the dietary department. This was a track that they had been on for a while. Yeah. So you kind of felt a little late to the game. It sounds like. Yeah, I was like 21 or 22. I mean, and I, so I have a degree in Russian going back to that. Um, and so I kind of graduated with that at the same time as I started taking these nutrition courses and I had to kind of keep going for another year. Um, Cause I basically had all the courses. I just had to take like nutrition and food science and these kind of things. So I applied to this dietetic internship and there was kind of different tracks that you could apply for. And I applied for a track that was more an emphasis on exercise science and physical performance, I guess they called it. So um, it was mostly focused on learning about exercise and nutrition. So um, yeah, the job that I took right out of school was this job here in Sioux Falls. And it really fits with what I learned about in school. So exercise and nutrition as it relates to that. Got it. Got it. Yeah. 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 So, I mean, it's, 
there's definitely a winding road here as you kind of explore different opportunities, different kind of niches within this uh, field of study, but you've really kind of found a home in, in this kind of sports science, uh, sports nutrition, uh, and working with athletes. Yeah, exactly. And I think being a dietitian, there's so many things that you can do technically, you know, at many different settings that you can work in. I have friends that work in, you know, NICUs with babies all the way to um, child nutrition, like in a school setting um, okay. with school food and lunches and things like that. So, um, yeah, it's really a broad field and um, there's lots of opportunities out there. But, yeah, I'm kind of landed in the exercise world. For sure, for sure. And well, you had kind of commented about uh, your running interest and starting to do marathons in college. And, and that that's, sounds like a very personal thing and kind of knowing you and having run with you and um, spent time yeah, out on the trails like that. I know that's a big part of who you are too, just personally. Um, so that, I guess, where did that interest start in terms of like, athletics, sports, and, and wanting to work with athletes? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, I guess, you know, I had always, I'd run a marathon like every year in my undergrad years um, because my dad ran marathons when I was a kid. He is a Marine, he's retired now, but he always ran kind of to keep up with his physical fitness that he needed, you know, to do testing and stuff like that. Um, and so he would run the Marine Corps marathon and we would go watch him and my uncle run when we were kind of stationed down in that area near oh, DC. Very cool. yeah. Um, yeah. So I always had this goal. I'm going to run a marathon. I'm going to run the Marine Corps marathon, but I should run a marathon first and then next year I'll do it. Um, and then I actually never ran the Marine Corps marathon until, um, a couple of years ago, I ran it like maybe three or four years ago. So, um, but I had run all these races and then, you know, up until then. So it was kind of just a way to stay fit. Um, and then now, you know, I had always watched sports. I was in the Wisconsin marching band and I went to football games and hockey and basketball, and I never really saw, I never really knew that people worked in that realm of things. You know, now athletic departments have full-time sports dietitians. Um, so it's kind of very unique field and they work really even more with athletes um, on the day to day. So um, I really love working with the endurance athletes. Like I said, I get almost every kind of, I, I'm really, I'm lucky in that way that I see, you know, get to work with a broad variety of people, which is never boring. Um, but I really do enjoy working with the endurance athletes and track and field and cross country. Um, and then the adults that are doing triathlons and marathons and ultras and stuff yeah, like that. Right. Right. Cause you speak the language, you know, if mm -hmm. I speak the language, I'm able to say, um, yeah, this is how many goos you need to eat and, um, be able to calculate. And, and I can frame that into my own practice too. And like when I'm doing these races. So um, it's easier for you to speak to when you're able to speak the language and um, really apply it to that because you've done it before. Yeah. 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 It's not just something that you've learned about, yeah. but it's also something that you yourself have experienced and had to sort through and um, kind of figure out, yeah, in an endurance event, what, what do I need to do for my nutrition? I might have a plan going in, um, but I have to be flexible and, and adjust to that, especially the longer you're out there. Yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. <laughs> so like what is, a, what is a typical kind of day or, or like consultation with, with an athlete? What does that even like look like for you? Um, so I, I would say day to day, and I always tell my interns this, um, 
it kind of depends on how many clients I get to see. I do have, um, I do work with some of the local universities. And so if I am visiting with them, those consults are typically shorter. I'm able to meet with athletes one-on-one -on -one or I'll do a lot of like team talks and stuff like that. Um, if I'm just seeing people who kind of walk in and they want a nutrition consult, they typically will fill out a food log of some sort where I'm able to really look at um, what they're eating, when they're eating, when they're exercising, how much water, other fluids they're drinking, just to give me a good idea. So they're basically, you know, helping me learn about their story of what is your goal? And then like, what tweaks can we make based on this that would help you meet your goal? So I think a lot of times people think it's like, um, I meet with you and then I give you the food plan that I think is best. And it's more like, what goals can we set based on what you're kind of doing now? Because a lot of times, you know, if I were to come in and say, oh, you want to train for a marathon and you don't run, um, I'm not going to make you run, you know, five days a week like my, like I do, right? So you really have to start with kind of what they're already doing and add on from there. Same thing with nutrition. I have to look at what you're doing now and then help you set smaller goals that hopefully you can build upon so that in the end, you feel confident that those nutrition changes are something that you can do. Um, but also it's not so crazy and out there that you're not going to stick with it. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, yeah. <clears throat> well, and, and so as you're talking through that, Lizzie, one of the things that I'm thinking about is kind of like what actually happens when somebody is meeting with you versus what a person might think, you know, like myself, if I'd never met with you before or never talked about nutrition with somebody before, kind of like what I would expect or what I would envision. And it sounds like those two things might be pretty different, actually. Um, maybe people are kind of walking in expecting you to kind of have some plan laid out, some kind of best practices and saying, these are the foods that you're going to eat. These are the times that you're going to eat. This is how much you're going to eat. But it's a much more nuanced uh, process than that is, I guess, is what I'm hearing. Yeah, exactly. And I think that nutrition changes, they're not always so complex or crazy and out there. You know, I think that I learned about all the science, but then when it comes to the actual nutrition changes, it's like, can you add more protein at breakfast? What does that look like? Here's three options that would help you meet that goal. So it, it seems sometimes disappointing. So I always try to lay it out there and be like, this is the process. Um, yeah. These are the kinds of changes that we're going to be making so that um, you're not walking away with a eat this, not that, or like an exact measurement of a food plan, but you're hopefully able to make smaller changes that you're going to carry out forever, hopefully, and that will help you meet your goals. Mm -hmm. And what and what kind of goals, again, typically are you working with clients on? Because I think the, the term dietitian, right, has the word diet in it. Yeah. And <clears throat> we were kind of chatting about that uh, previously. Um, about how this whole world of dieting is a pretty standard way that people start investigating and learning about nutrition in the first place. So maybe we can kind of dive into that a little bit in, in this idea of like the goal necessarily in, in a person's mind might be I want to lose weight or I, I want to, you know, cut fat or something like that. Um, but it seems like 
again, meeting with you, it's more about lifestyle and kind of working with people on uh, small improvements or, or, or adjustments that they can make to get themselves closer to a goal that maybe isn't based on a number on a scale or something along those lines. Yeah. And I think that sometimes, you know, even if people kind of hold on to those goals um, of that is still their original goal, hopefully we can also be kind of adding in these other things that, yeah, will get you closer to your goal. But I think when we only focus on weight loss or we only focus on muscle gain, right, that's kind of taking us away from the fact that we, this is something that we have to do all the time. And like, if we're not able to stick with it, like if we try out this new diet and we're only able to stick with it for two weeks and it's so terrible and I can't go out to eat and I have to say no um, to a lot of things. And I just don't see myself doing that for the long term. That's probably not going to get that person closer to their goal. Yeah. It's um, not sustainable. Yeah. And exactly. And I think sometimes people come off of a different diet and they're like looking for the same kind of results from a hardcore diet, but they want to do it in a different way. And, you know, it's really important to kind of lay that out and say, you know, when we are working on nutrition changes, it's a lot slower. It's a slower process because we're not going on these crazy 1000 calorie diets and, um, you know, cutting out all snacks and no sugar. I mean, that's just not realistic for so many people. So I think that we have to also lay out that expectation that results are different because you wanted it to be different, right? Like you didn't enjoy being on that other diet or you gained the weight back or you didn't feel great all the time. And so if, you know, that process is going to be different. Results might take a little bit longer. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, we get focused. And I think this is across the board, not just in nutrition, but we get really focused on the outcome of like, and if my outcome is a certain number on the scale, then that's, that's all I'm thinking about. That's all I'm focused on. And my uh, perception of success or failure is entirely based on what does that number say? So how do you help people? Like what are some ways that you would, can help people adjust that perspective so that they're f more focused on, I don't know, I mean, would you call it like, like healthy living or like sustainable nutrition or like what, what are some of the terms that you would use and, and then how do you help people get there? Yeah, and I, I think the biggest thing that I try to help people with is um, – if we can do this stuff long term, that's a lot better off for us. So I think sometimes we focus, like you said, let's say somebody comes in and they kind of have a background um, of dieting or wanting to lose weight. And they're so focused on that number, they're weighing themselves every day. And they're kind of losing sight of the fact that like, they're still making awesome nutrition changes. Like their runs are better. They feel stronger. They're hydrating more. Um, they're eating vegetables at every meal. Um, so I think that because we're only focused on this one goal, um, we're not necessarily focused on the fact that we are actually making a lot of really awesome beneficial changes for our health, which hopefully in the long term makes that person hit that goal, you know, that they are probably going to hit that weight goal, whatever it is. Um, if that is their goal with all these other nutrition changes, but I think a lot of times people can fall off of that because they're so focused on this weight, which weight changes day to day. You know, I tell almost everybody, you know, if you ate a salty meal and you ate a little bit more over the weekend, yeah, your weight's going to be up on Monday. So 
we don't necessarily want to lose track of like all of the healthy things that can be happening. So actually a lot of times we work on like that mindset change and trying to get people to realize that that low calorie eating is not good for athletes. Um, because a lot of the people, like I said, are athletes that I work with, um, and they want to make changes, but they feel so comfortable in whatever area they're in now, if that's a low calorie diet or just not healthy eating, they're very comfortable in that spot. And I'm not going to tell them what they want to hear, if that makes sense. Like I'm not willing to say, okay, yeah, we can stick with the 1200 calorie diet, even though you're running 40 miles a week. Like I absolutely can't say that. So we have to be working on, Hey, this might be working for you, but you have a goal. And so you're going to listen to me. I'm the expert, <laughs> but how do we get them to do it? And you have to get them to buy into it and saying, you know, if you do this, you're able to have stronger runs. You're able to work out harder. You're able to recover faster, which means you're building more muscle, um, which means that you're getting faster um, and you're able to eat more food. So um, I think a lot of times you have to meet people where they're at and find a way to educate them on good nutrition. That's not just from that cutting calories or eating less kind of standpoint. Which is the diet perspective, I think, right? Yeah. And I think, you know, even you reopen magazines and it's like, here's a healthy dinner recipe and it's like 300 calories or something. And it's like, you know, a lot of us are reading that just from, you know, we don't really visualize ourselves as being an athlete or something like that. And so we're reading that saying like, oh yeah, that's, that's healthy, right? Like that's, really healthy just to eat protein and vegetables, even though, okay, you're training for a marathon, you obviously need a lot more than that. Um, but again, I think a lot of times dieting is perceived as super healthy. Being healthy means you weigh less or you eat less or you're only eating salads or whatever it is, um, whatever that person perceives. And I think when I'm working with active people, you have to say like, you're, you need to support the activity that you're doing. Otherwise, what is your goal? Yeah. Yeah. So the, <clears throat> there's a whole bunch of uh, myths and kind of uh, cultural um, untruths that, that have been kind of pushed forward. And, and whether that's through magazines, what, whether that's through just picture images, those kind of things, um, you know, I, th I think that that's very present for a lot of people. And so there's a perception and it's kind of myth-based that dieting is healthy and that the less you weigh the healthier you are so you're, you're kind of addressing those two myths right now and saying no dieting isn't necessarily a healthy or certainly sustainable pathway and just because you weigh less doesn't mean you're gonna be healthier or perform better well, exactly. Yeah. And I think, um, it, you know, sometimes you even have to make the person say it of like, um, when was a weight that you felt is, when were you at a weight that you feel like is kind of your goal or like that would be the area, like you felt really comfortable there. You liked the way you felt, you might like the way that you look. And I think we were talking about this, like sometimes I get responses from people and it's like, wait, that doesn't sound healthy at all. Cause it's like, oh, I was going to the gym five days a week. I was running 50 miles. I was doing extra strength training workouts. I was really stressed out. Um, I really didn't like my diet plan. I was hungry all the time. It's like that, that does not sound healthy to me. Like, yeah, you shouldn't be hungry all the time. You should be fueling 
for your workouts and feel really strong. Like you shouldn't be walking during your runs because you feel like you run out of juice. Um, so yeah, I think a lot of times it's trying to get people to kind of realize what is your goal. Like if somebody's goal is weight loss, we can work with that, but sometimes weight loss and performance goals don't go together. Like we can't be at peak marathon training and okay, I'm running a marathon in two weeks or ultra or whatever they're doing. And I want to try to lose weight. It's like those two goals don't go together because you're probably going to be sacrificing a lot of your workouts, your hard, um, trail runs, your hills, um, all of those things that you need to be able to put out a lot of effort. It's really hard to do that if you're under fueling, which you kind of have to under fuel or at least eat less in order to lose weight. Right. Mm -hmm. So kind of depends on what that person's goal is. And if at the end of the day, their goal is weight loss, I can work with that, but we're going to do it in a healthy way. Um, I'm never going to put somebody on a 1200 calorie diet. Um, yeah. I'm really going to try to make them again, make those sustainable changes so that it's not just about this year, or even this training cycle, it's about long-term. Um, unless you're an Olympian, you're training for the next Olympic trials, which yeah, that's just this year, whatever. Um, we, you have the rest of your life to be active and healthy. So um, hopefully we can get people to kind of meet, we can meet together in the middle. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So, I mean, there is a fair amount of education that you're having to do here because people are coming in with a lot of misperceptions or, or beliefs that are not <clears throat> congruent with their overall goals or, um, or even just feeling good. Um, but the other part here too is that that food is very emotional and for me like in my my experience as a mental health counselor um food isn't uh necessarily talked about in a counseling session from a nutrition standpoint food is typically talked about from the standpoint of uh emotions or how i feel or um or what my family does, or what I learned or observed from my family, um, and so so as a dietitian, how do you kind of approach that, knowing, yeah, there there is a science component here in terms of x amount of calories are burned, x amount of calories need to be taken in, and and where are we getting those? But there's also this whole emotional component to food for people. Yeah, I think, you know, I've kind of evolved in that over the years because I think people are a lot smarter than they think that they are. So a lot of times I'll ask them like, well, what do you know about carbohydrates or what are, what are, how do you perceive these certain foods? Um, and it really depends on the person, but a lot of times like people know about pre and post workout, they know what they need to be doing. Um, so it's also just trying to like match what they already know with what I feel like they need to be doing um, or trying to break down some of those preconceived notions about what's healthy, what's unhealthy. Um, again, people want this list of like, these are the foods you shouldn't be eating because maybe they feel bad if they eat those foods because they've always read that that's not healthy. And honestly, like I feel like a lot of foods can fit in a healthy diet. And when we put these foods on a pedestal that we're not supposed to be eating and we berate ourselves for eating bad or not eating clean, that's kind of when we end up overeating those foods. Um, you know, it's putting those foods on that pedestal of like, you know, don't eat these foods. And then you end up overeating them because 
it's kind of like that. They, I've heard it been called the last supper syndrome of like, well, I'm going to start dieting tomorrow. And so today I'm going to eat really bad. So with, um, you know, Thanksgiving's coming up, probably not after this episode, but we talked about with student athletes this week about, you know, get rid of that last supper mentality. Like you can eat pumpkin pie whenever you want. You don't need to eat half a pumpkin pie and then feel terrible because you know you're going to feel bad. Like if you overeat, um, you're not going to enjoy the food. You're not going to enjoy being with your family. Um, all you're going to be doing is like laying in the fetal position, feeling super stuffed and terrible. Um, but knowing that you have access to those foods all the time and that you don't need to go on a diet tomorrow or a cleanse or whatever allows you to actually like enjoy those foods and know like psychologically, you're going to be able to eat those foods whenever you want, um, which I think takes a lot of the pressure off to overeat and, um, you know, kind of binge eat those foods that are off limits the rest of the year. Um, I feel like I'm going off on a tangent about overeating, but I think especially with holidays coming up, that's a big issue with people that they end up like overeating, they feel bad about it. So then they just say, well, screw it. I'm going to, I'm going to eat even more, um, Mm -hmm. because now I've messed Mm -hmm. up my whole day. Mm -hmm. Um, yeah, and kind of throw, like, throwing in the towel. Like one bad choice just kind of leads to another and another and another. Yeah, and it just spirals. It's like, um, like what do you expect? You know, if you have a big holiday meal coming up and you skip breakfast, you go on a turkey trot or whatever, you do a 5K, um, now you're really kind of hungry, but you don't want to eat because it's not the holiday meal time yet. And then you actually get to that meal and you're so hungry that you end up overeating. Like, what did you expect? You know, you haven't eaten anything for eight hours and you went on a run. So um, I don't know. I think a lot of times it's like trying to actually like listen to your body. Um, it's okay to emotionally eat too, kind of going back to that. I think a lot of times people will kind of be mean to themselves. And sometimes we say like, well, would you tell your friend that? Like if your friend was like, man, I had such a hard day today and I'm such a pig for eating that pizza. Um, I ate two slices of pizza. It's like, would you tell your friend that, that they were a pig for eating those foods or that they're out of control? Like probably not. You'd say like, well, yeah, you had a bad day. That would happen to anyone. Mm-hmm. Um, anybody would turn to those kinds of foods. So I don't know. I think a lot of times people talk, the way people talk to themselves too around food is kind of toxic and we have to work with that. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, you use the word like binge eating and And then you're also kind of uh, speaking about some maybe patterns of restricting that can happen too. Um, And, and, you know, again, on my side of things from a mental health standpoint, you know, when I'm talking about those, it's usually in the context of some, some disordered eating patterns. And there's always disordered eating thoughts that go along with that. That's not just a person's behavior but it's also how we talk to ourselves about food, what we tell ourselves about food. Um, and then that, that we start to kind of take that on as like our identity as well. Um, like this is like who I am, like I'm an out of control person or um, I'm, I'm a weak person because I quote unquote give into, you know, these like, indulgences or temptations or something like that. But it really comes from a place of saying there are things that I can do and things that I can't do. And when I do the things that I can't do, that creates a lot of negative emotion inside of myself. And that kind of feeds back in, no pun intended, on then consuming other things that kind of perpetuate that cycle. 
but then there's a yo-yo or a kind of like a kickback effect of then like I feel so bad. So then I'm just not going to eat anything or I'm only going to eat, you know, this little tiny tray of veggies or something like that. Right. And so there's this kind of disordered eating um, that can happen. And then there's the clinical kind of side of things that there are eating disorders as well. And, and so, you know, there's, we're kind of talking about a whole spectrum of things and, you know, I, I don't know how often you see kind of those disordered patterns in athletes. What, what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, I think that's really important because you asked me even how I got into nutrition and marathon running was part of it. But I think also I had gotten, I think maybe when I was studied abroad, I had lost some weight and you start getting compliments. Well, you look so good. And I was kind of eating healthy and realizing like, well, I can kind of restrict these certain things and not allow myself to eat these certain foods and I can lose weight. Well, it became pretty disordered. And I think nutrition field really struggles with that. Um, there's a lot of people that get into nutrition because of eating disorder recovery, disordered eating habits, where they're learning about nutrition and clean eating and eating veggies and proteins and only healthy carbohydrates and restricting these unhealthy foods. Um, and it became very toxic in my life. I mean, it was not, we, you know, Adam and I, my husband, we were talking about um, a trip to Chicago. I worked at a kid's weight loss camp. We took a trip to Chicago and I remember we were like sitting in the hotel and we were like, un like, he's like, let's go out to eat. And I was like, unable to imagine going out to eat. It was after this kid's weight loss camp. I had sent, spent all summer at this weight loss camp eating healthfully. And it was a low fat diet and exercise every day. And, um, even like as a person that it felt like they were very resilient to falling into those like disordered eating habits. Um, I remember trying to figure out a restaurant to eat. It was like the end of camp. We went down to Chicago. We could not figure out where to go because I was so fixated on like, let's find somewhere where they have a healthy item on the menu. Like instead of just being like, let's go out to deep dish pizza, right? Like you would it's do Chicago. Chicago. Yeah. yeah that, exactly. what, what else are you going to do? Mm -hmm. Exactly. Or like going out to a restaurant and being like, I'll order the salad, you know, even though everybody else is getting a burger. So I think that in the athletics world, there is a lot of disordered eating that happens and it kind of is under this, um, people will say, well, that person just eats really healthfully or, um, that person, yeah, they have so much self-control and, um, and for some people they do. I mean, I think that when I work with people, you can really tell when they're eating healthfully and they're legitimately doing it because they feel like it's going to help their performance. And it has no tie to emotions or trying to restrict or control things. And I think you can really tell with people, like I was talking with somebody, um, a client and they were saying like, Oh yeah, I try to cut out sugary sweets 12 weeks from my race because I feel like it's really going to help. And, um, then I always allow myself to add them back in afterwards. Right. And like, you can just tell with that person, like it, it doesn't have anything to do with like the control aspect of things of like, um, controlling what they're eating or trying to control what their body looks like. Versus I think that in the athletics world, a lot of times it is about that control aspect. Um, it's probably making very minimal effects on their performance. And yet it is something that they think about all the time. Like they're constantly mm -hmm. thinking about food, their next meal, recipes. They're looking at Instagram on like recipes on their Pinterest. Um, there are um, always like healthifying recipes too. That was another one 
um, me and Adam talked about this, like di- dietitianifying, he used to call it, of like, let's use whole wheat flour and add flax seeds. And it's like, no, like just eat a brownie. It doesn't have to have beans in it, you know? Um, so I think it really <laughs> depends on where that person is. It's well, that's not- reassuring to me because I don't want any beans in my brownies. Well, exactly. And like, don't try to pretend like that's the normal thing. And it's not that person's fault. I think that as a society, we like to think that that is good it's better. Um, you know, we only need to eat veggies and lean proteins. And I tell my student athletes all the time at the college level, like unfollow people on Instagram that only eat vegetables and protein for meals, because as an athlete, you need carbohydrates. It's okay to drink Gatorade during your game when you're a starting player. Um, even runners, it's okay to drink chocolate milk of all things. You just ran 18 miles and you can't drink a glass of chocolate milk right? It's 200 calories. Yes, it has sugar in it, but you just burn so many calories like on Mm -hmm. your run. Mm -hmm. So I think, um, yeah, it doesn't, it's not always coming from a place of control, but I think there are a lot of disordered eating habits that happen in the athletics world. And yeah, maybe they're not full-blown eating disorders, but people, you don't want that to have to control your life either. Yeah. Yeah. And, and then kind of these, uh, nutrition plans that maybe fall into a very specific kind of dietary, like you can have these things and you can't have those things that are, that are very restrictive, I think kind of set us up, like um, even, even if we go into it from a healthy mindset, that it it has this kind of power in influencing then how we start thinking about things as we go through and move forward with it. So, so even if we came in at a good spot, because I don't think anybody comes into this saying, I want to have disordered eating habits in my life, you know, or I want to obsess about food, or I want to be, um, you know, really difficult every time we go out to eat someplace, you know, that that's not where it starts. But I think the more restrictive um, these dietary plans um, are, I think that sets people up. And then we all again, from, from an athletic standpoint, like you, you are working with athletes, people that are very primed for performance and goal setting, and they're probably pretty motivated. Um, maybe they, and, and they have a higher level of control in their life. Um, and so I think just from a personality standpoint, you're already kind of primed internally to like grab onto those things that say, Oh, I can do this one little thing. You know, I was a triathlete for a number of years when we lived in Florida. And that was, that was so interesting to me, you know, talking to other triathletes, how they would like measure all of their equipment in grams, right? Like this pedal weighs this many grams and this, um, you know, my goggles are this many grams or whatever. And it was so focused on weight of equipment, but I think that really carried over into then the athlete themselves, like in terms of like cutting weight and like leading up to a race. Like you'd said, like it's two weeks out before this big race, I need to cut some weight because they think that's going to, you know, less weight equals better performance. And so yeah. there, there's all of these things that get really confused pretty quickly when we get into these um, kind of patterns of living that just aren't sustainable. 
Well, exactly. And like, I don't want to say that weight doesn't play a role ever. Um, but I think when people are constantly fighting against their weight and their goal of running or doing triathlon or whatever is to compete against themselves, I think that, you know, if you're constantly struggling against your genetics in order to beat only yourself, like maybe you're just an age, and I don't want to say just an age group winner or whatever. I mean, maybe you're very competitive, but I had a friend once say like, unless somebody, and this is like probably when I was more disordered in my eating habits. And she told me, unless somebody's paying you like your model or you're getting paid to do that sport, like, why are you struggling so much with this? And it shouldn't be that. I mean, that, that was like my, the harsh reality. She was telling mm -hmm. me that like, mm -hmm. you can eat the brownie or you can eat the bread or whatever. Um, and so that was a friend telling me, but I sometimes want to say yeah. that to people of like, you know, why, why do you see this as a way that you would want to live your life? And again, it is such a mental component. So you can't say that to somebody because it comes off as extremely harsh, right? You yeah. Yeah. Well, super that. critical or judgmental, but, <clears throat> but we also need to be able to have a reality check at some point, like to be able to say, well, this is what I'm doing and how, how right of center, left of center is that, you know, mm -hmm. like, and, and so maybe it does take a close friend being able to say, Hey, I'm like kind of concerned about this. Like w you seem to be taking this beyond a, a reasonable level and, yeah. and, and in a compassionate or empathetic way, kind of bring that to that person. Um, but still, still we have to be real. Well, yeah. And I think, like you said, I think a lot of times it's only the weight aspect that comes into the performance um, and weight all the time. Like people go on diets, they start eating a diet plan or like you'll hear about, you know, keto is the best diet or paleo or um, all these diets. And when you say like, how is it the best diet? It's almost always because of weight loss, right? Like this is the healthiest diet because I'm going to lose weight when we're not looking at like any other components of health. When we know for a fact that people that go on diets typically will regain that weight back, right? I mean, if you're constantly need to be on a diet, um, we need to find something sustainable. Even if it means you are going to be heavier, are you able to um, actually refuel after runs? Are you able to you know, eat goo on the run and not be concerned about the calories and grams and that kind of stuff? Um, you know, are you able to go out to eat with friends? I mean, don't do that right now, but um, there's a lot of reasons why I think accepting a natural weight is, you know, and not struggling against it your whole life. It has a lot of benefits. Um, so as a dietitian, I think sometimes people give me the eyebrow because it's like, what? You say that I can eat cookies or candy or whatever. And it's like, yeah, don't only eat those foods, but if you can't eat any of those foods now, you should be able to eat those foods, you know? Mm -hmm. um, so yeah, I think again, I think that we only tie it to the weight. And I like what you say about the triathlon world. I, yeah. I do think that triathletes, triathletes are even their own special breed of like the yeah, bike, for sure. the, how much your bike weighs and stuff like that. Um, but you have to work with that individual. If their goal is performance, I know that I had my best race at this weight and I've really, I mean, maybe somebody had their best race at a certain weight and now they don't take care of themselves because they just constantly are eating fast food or constantly eating the sweets. Like that's not healthy either. So like, can we meet in the middle and find, you know, an area where you can sustain this kind of diet plan? Yeah. Yeah, for sure. For sure. So 
what do you what do you do? I guess I'm thinking about uh, things from like a cultural perspective too, because you know you and I are both here in the Midwest, and I think there are definitely some eating traditions that um, that are a part of Midwestern culture. Um, when I lived in the Southwest, there were definitely food traditions there, um, and then internationally, like both um, you know Sioux Falls, Mankato, the Twin Cities, like these are really high populations of international people as well. And so they're coming with their own food traditions and, and culture behind that. So, so where does, where does culture, food traditions, where, where does that play into this conversation about nutrition and wellness? Yeah, that's really interesting. And I've followed some dietitians um, in, on Twitter who have been talking about this because for the longest time, for example, dietitians will say a lot of times, well, like you should choose the whole grain option like brown rice. And this dietitian came out and was like, you are not doing any favors to people in cultures that eat white rice. When you're saying white rice is unhealthy, like you're just, that's a slap in the face to these cultures that like rely on white rice as a staple. So um, I think you really do have to be able to incorporate those cultural foods into people's diets. And I think when we were talking before, I gave the example of um, a kid who is from a Somalian family and what does their mom keep at home for snacks? So if I'm constantly in my, you know, Midwest mind thinking, you know, granola bars and PBJs and those kinds of foods, well, mom might not have those foods at home. So what are some things that you could recommend that would kind of fit into that? Um, I think especially in the Midwest, hot dish, right? If I'm constantly saying protein, carbs, fat, and I'm showing them this healthy plate with lots of veggies, um, you know, mom might be making a hot dish. It's so easy to throw that together. Um, but if mom's in the room, and I'm only talking about kids now, um, of course, because I'm talking about hot dish, but a lot of times I'll say like, can you add some veggies to that? Or can that be a side? Can you have a piece of fruit on the side? So not ever telling anybody that like that's unhealthy, but like how can we make that part of a more balanced meal? Like there are ways to do that. Um, I'm trying to think of some other good examples. Um, I've worked with a lot of families that um, maybe eating tacos, burritos, that's part of um, their just family meals. And so like, how do you make that healthier? Um, can we add some veggies? Again, I'm always saying, can we add some veggies? Um, how You can't only make recommendations to eat veggies and um, noodles when maybe that person doesn't eat those foods. So again, that's why I like doing the food log with clients because you can see what they're doing now and then make modifications that you feel like would be um, within their eat own eating habits, if that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and what are your thoughts? I think, you know, during COVID here, people have been kind of forced to figure out how to eat more at home, uh, do more cooking. You know, I think some of that has relaxed um, along the way and <clears throat> certainly meal services, kind of delivering food and those kind of things has, has uh, rapidly grown uh, in response to the need because, you know, I think there's uh, a large percentage um, of folks that, that do eat out regularly. So I don't know, do you have any guidance for, for people typically when they're trying to balance out what am I making at home versus what am I, what am I purchasing that's ready-made or, or, or made someplace at a restaurant? 
Yeah. And when people are kind of trying to get into making more meals at home, a lot of times I will recommend writing down like a meal plan for the week. And people sometimes want those exact portions, but it's like you can make a healthy plate with the protein, with some veggies, with some carbohydrates. You can have all of those foods on your plate and choose a recipe. It doesn't need to be you're just making plain chicken, you're just making a whole grain, and you're just making, you know, steamed veggies, you can find a recipe that kind of contains all those different food groups that I would be recommending without weighing and measuring and making sure a third of your plate is, you know, filled up with these. Um, yes, that's the recommendation, but a, a recipe can fit into that too. So a lot of times I'll say, write out, maybe every breakfast, you're probably going to eat the same thing, oatmeal, yogurt, whatever it is, and, but for lunches and dinners, you know that you kind of struggle with those. And so write out exactly what you're going to eat for lunch and exactly what you're going to eat for dinner and include, like, do you really see yourself cooking on a Friday night or do you always order in on a Friday? Right? So that allows you to buy exactly what you need for the recipes you need to make and then allow room for eating out or allow room for getting takeout or pizza or, um, you know, just having make your own taco night or whatever. Um, I think that writing it all out really helps people initially. And then once they get into the groove of like, this is a good balance between eating out, you know, if you're balancing bringing kids to football and soccer, and um, you're trying to fit your runs in, and um, you know that you're always going to eat out after, you know, little Timmy has his basketball game, um, you have to make room for that too. Like, it's so unrealistic to say, I'm going to have crockpot at home you know, every single week if you never do that now. So I think finding that balance of the meal prep, writing it all down, but making room like realistically, are you going to cook every day? Probably not. Yeah, wow. sure. And that, and that again, kind of back to that cultural piece that probably varies based on kind of family tradition um, and stage of life and cultural background and heritage, like all of those pieces can certainly influence um, that decision-making as well. And you know, it just kind of made me think like, well, you know, Taco Tuesday is a pretty common thing in my house. We we have some sort of taco dish or actual tacos or burritos or something like that. But those are all things that um, typically we, we make at home, right? Mm -hmm. But, and I, I know that is probably a better um, option in terms of overall nutrition than, you know, going to the fast food restaurant and picking up tacos. Not that that I wouldn't do that, but that's just kind of a choice that we make. But then when it comes to something like pizza, which is a pretty common thing, I think in most households, um, we kind of balance that out between sometimes we order out, sometimes we make our own, sometimes we get things kind of ready made that we can cook. And so that there's kind of a balance there um, as well. But again, it's, it's, the way I, I think I continue to think about it is like what's sustainable, what's what fits within our lifestyle. What because if it's a big stress or a big like effort to make it happen, I'm maybe gonna do that once or twice, or maybe I'll, I'll be able to keep it up for a couple of weeks or a month. But at some point, I'm gonna hit a, a wall with it, and I'm if it's a huge effort still, I'm not gonna want to do it. I'm not gonna be able to, and then I'm gonna feel bad about failing or falling through on it. 
Well, exactly. So. Yeah. I think, you know, you have to take a look at what you're doing now. And with, with the three-day food log that I do with people or with the food log that I do, it's the same kind of idea. Like if I were to just all of a sudden slam a bunch of home-cooked meals in there, when I know for a fact that that person eats out twice a day, um, that is completely unrealistic for that person. So instead, what are some maybe healthier options that you could get when you go out to eat or okay you usually get the italian sub with the you know the sausage and the extra cheese can we switch that to a turkey sub you know so trying to switch things around that way and what i really tell people is cooking at home is always going to probably be healthier than eating out um, especially if you're trying to feed a lot of mouths and you are going to fast food more often um, so if you're cooking at home for those meals and you control the controllables, that means that you can actually get stuff that you really enjoy when you do go out to eat because people don't want to order a salad or a, you know, chicken sandwich when you're going to the burger joint or whatever. So if you control the controllables and you're eating healthy, most of the time you can make room for ordering in pizza or going out to get tacos and stuff like that. Um, so that's a big recommendation that I always say is like, it's okay to eat out, but like, if you cook at home more often, it makes eating out worth it because you'll go get the burger, right? And not feel mm -hmm. bad about it. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, something that I'm, I've been kind of curious about and I've heard, I've heard other um, kind of discussion about this on podcasts, um, this idea of like food deserts, that, that there are definitely like areas and I, I get the sense that it's typically in more urban areas too, where some of these maybe options, you know, that, that you're talking about, like in terms of fresh vegetables, um, you know, or lean proteins or um, even fresh fruits, like these kind of things are maybe scarce or difficult to access. Um, how, how do you, I don't know if that, first of all, I guess, is that something that you run into and then what what's your thought on how to navigate some of these like food desert issues? Yeah. Wow. That's a good question. And I should be able to say what it is. Cause I know that I asked my college students, they had to know it on the exam this year. Um, so food desert, technically in a city, you have to be, it's a much shorter distance than if you live in a, um, in the country. Like a rural area. Yeah. yeah a rural yeah. area. So the city it's, um, it's a much closer distance, <laughs> but you have to be within a certain distance of a, grocery store, somewhere where that would have food that would meet your needs. In the country, that does happen or a more rural area, but it's a further distance away. But you do see that in um, rural South Dakota or rural um, places in the Midwest where there's no grocery store that's close. And so they're relying on small town, um, like, you know, like little, a convenience store, gas yeah, station. Say, even. Store, get, yeah, but yeah, gas yeah. station. I remember we were driving through, um, we were driving to Colorado last year, and I can't remember if we were in Kansas, um, but there was literally nothing. We were trying to find um, a grocery store to stop at and like grab some turkey and some, um, you know, bread and stuff like that. And we could not, I mean, we were trying to look it up on Google and it's like, well, we can get off the road or on and drive 15 miles that way and get a grocery store. But there were a lot of convenience stores. So we ended up doing that. So technically, I mean, even in rural Midwestern cities, that still is, is a problem. And I personally don't deal with it a lot just because I do work with a lot of people 
here in Sioux Falls. And if I do work with somebody who lives in a more rural area, there's so much like food delivery and stuff like that that happens now with, you know, um, the big companies that can deliver groceries or they do a big run. So they'll go to Costco once a month or go to, um, you know, Walmart once a month or whatever it is. Mm -hmm. But the, I think the biggest reason that people struggle with it in some of these food deserts is also, um, trying to stretch your dollar. So if you're struggling with food in general and you're struggling with not having enough money and you're going to the grocery or you're going to the convenience store and maybe fresh food is an option, but it's a lot more expensive than being able to get the prepackaged hamburger or um, the deli meat, the salami, whatever it is, um, you're probably going to get the option that is going to give you more calories or be more filling um, than the orange that costs the same amount as the entire meal. So um, that's a big issue is like, even if that food is accessible, like, is it? It's cost prohibitive is what I'm hearing. And convenience stores, inevitably are going to be more expensive just across the board than getting into a full like grocery store or, or market of some sort. Well, exactly. And your dollar just does not stretch as far in those places. Like if you're trying to get milk or we've done that a lot in like rural areas, we'll stop at the gas station and, you know, they might have milk there, but it's three times as much as we could get here um, at the Walmart. Right. So um, I think that's the part that's hard too. And is it front and center and do people know to make those choices? So um, oranges and you know, spinach don't get marketing behind them. They don't have a a shiny package. And if a kid is going to the store to get their lunch, um, are they going to go for the stuff that's in the shiny packages and the energy drinks and the candy and the chips, or are they going to get the stuff that like truthfully they know is probably healthy, but is not packaged in a way that's marketed, right? Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. It's not front and center. Maybe it's in the back of the store. And again, it might be more expensive. So um, I think that's a whole issue. (laughs) And that's probably beyond my scope. But if I was working with an individual, it would be really hard for me to say, you know, yeah, don't get that fast food. Or um, I remember working with somebody when I was in my nutrition um, grad school and we were giving out all these recommendations, eat more fresh berries and fruits and vegetables. And the person literally said, I eat out of bags. Like they would stop for breakfast, fast food, lunch was fast food, dinner was fast food. And so then it was like, okay, well, which places do you stop at? But if I were to continue giving recommendations based on that, that person could go to the grocery store when they're not going to the grocery store, but what can you get at those fast food places that would be more nutritious. Like, could you get the oatmeal instead of the pancakes? Right. So, um, you really have to meet people where they're at and with what budget they're working with too. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. There's a lot of, a lot of wisdom in that too. Um, it's just, again, I think, you know, we live in a time where food is abundant and it's everywhere. And so we don't, we don't necessarily think that access, um, or, being able to make the choice to have a healthy option is the issue. But there are, for plenty of families and plenty of areas, um, Midwest and across the country, where that really is the barrier, is is the cost or the access um, and the quality of it. So, I, you know, I think just you're right, that is a big topic, probably one that we could spend a, a whole show on in and of itself. Um, and maybe I can work on that. But um, but it is just kind of bringing that awareness that um, 
you know, there, there are a lot of resources for folks too uh, within communities to provide some of that food and nutrition. Um, I know Feeding South Dakota is a really huge organization that really puts that front and center. Um, and I, you know, I know some of the people that have worked for that organization and, and that's really what they're trying to address is this, um, this just lack of access or that things are cost prohibitive for people, but they still need to have healthy options um, and, and have access to that. Well, exactly. I think, you know, it's such a, it is such just a greater issue in the world, but especially with COVID and people losing their jobs or with kids having to stay home. And then maybe somebody couldn't go to their job because they had to stay home with young kids. And then I was talking with my college kids about this. It's not only maybe losing your job, maybe having to stay home, but kids that rely on school lunch all of a sudden potentially weren't getting that school lunch. So my friends who work in school lunch programs, they are doing just like, crazy work right now to get to go meals to those kids and doing delivery service and um, trying to make it fun um, too. But also it needs to be accessible to the parents who are ideally still have a job and have to go to work and don't have time to you know, go to the delivery spot. So yeah, they can't um, be DoorDash necessarily. Well, exactly. So there's a lot of logistics that go into it, but um, we were just talking about that, that I was on the Feeding South Dakota or some of the other um, sites that are like that saying that people just during COVID um, have the amount of meals that have been needed for those people that have maybe lost access to um, their salary or their their job um, are needing those foods, those meals a lot more than pre-COVID. And yeah. so it's a sad reality. Um, but yeah, I think there are resources out there for people. And so also um, when I work in sports nutrition, I've said this over and over, but typically I work with people that have access to food because they have access to sports and leisure activities. And so if they're mm -hmm. coming to work with a sports dietitian, we're, we're typically not dealing with access issues. But anytime you're working with high school or college kids, sometimes that's not the same scenario. So yeah, yeah. Um, Student athletes or high school, yeah, age, age kids, it's they're they're much more dependent upon their immediate system. And maybe they don't have those financial resources or transportation um, yeah, to exactly. be able to get places. Yeah. Yeah. Very true. Yeah. Well, I'll, yeah. Things like feeding South Dakota. Um, I'm sure, um, you know, I can, I'll put a link to that in my show notes here for people to access and, and ones for, for other, uh, states within the Midwest. I'll try and, uh, link some of that up so that if you or, uh, you know, people that you know that are listening, um, are having access, you know, issues to food that hopefully you can, click on some of those links and, and get access. So what, you know, Lizzie, what other, I guess, resources, you know, in terms of good education about nutrition or uh, people wanting to, to learn more about sustainable ways of eating, um, like what are some resources that you typically point people toward? That's a good question. So um, technically um, a, a good one that puts out articles that are science-based, written by dietitians would be um, the Academy of Nutrition and Dietetics. They put out a lot of good nutrition um, articles kind of for the whole lifespan. So it's not always specific to athletes. They do have some athlete specific stuff on there. Um, 
but I do point that to a lot of people. They have recipes, um, so that's always a good one to kind of point people towards. Um, and then they also have just subset of different groups too. So they have different groups of dietitians that work specifically in school nutrition or sports or um, different cultural situations. So um, that would probably be my number one resource for people that would be science-based and would have good information. Um, another thing that I always recommend, and I tell this to my college kids that are just looking up information, but if they're finding nutrition information out there, making sure that the person has some credentials behind their name, just like I'm sure that you would recommend people look for um, those same credentials for mental health resources as well. Oh, totally. Yeah. hundred um, percent. There's a lot of gurus out there just in general in probably both of our worlds. And I think somebody had just tweeted about this yesterday um, that there was a whole person who wrote a whole entire book about the carnivore diet, which is literally a diet where you just eat meat, which sounds terrible. Um, Cause I like a, I like a blueberry once in a while, you know, or a piece of sourdough. Um, and then they came out and said like, well, I do allow these carbohydrates in my diet for health reasons, like after they had already probably sold this book. So I think there's a lot of really probably sketchy stuff that goes out there. So looking for somebody who has nutrition credentials, whether that's um, some letters behind their name, they're a, they're a dietitian. So RD stands for a registered dietitian. Um, somebody is a dietitian. Somebody is a PhD in nutrition. They do research. Um, that would be for almost every topic out there, right? Looking for somebody who has credentials. They work in the health field. They are, they're a dietitian. They um, work for a hospital or university or um, something like that, where you probably know that that information is going to be hopefully good, right? Or mm -hmm. science-based mm -hmm. mm -hmm. um, versus, you know, you go on these websites, there's no author listed. There's no site, uh, sorted, cited sources. Um, really even it happens on the news even, right? You have people that come in and speak about a topic on the news and I will raise an eyebrow. I'm like, where is this person coming up with this? So um, I always recommend that for people. Look for credentials or that that person has some background, knowledge, information, a degree, whatever it is in that topic. Yeah. Yeah. Just be a uh, kind of a, have a critical analysis of the the source, right? And yeah. whether that's a person, whether that's a website, um, a book, uh, just, yeah, being able to look. And I appreciate that <clears throat> kind of clarification, like what are the credentials? Yeah. PhD and, and in that field of nutrition and, um, or being a registered dietitian, like these are, these are some of the um, symbols that kind of signify this person's been vetted and, mm -hmm. and they're going to approach it from a more science-based rather than a, I, I feel like this is the right thing to do. And so I'm going to publicize that to everybody else. Well, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. I know research is kind of an area that you like to get involved in from time to time. I know I've bugged you over the years. You got to tell me, is beetroot juice the secret you know, like to performance and, and success, but you said it was inconclusive. Yeah. And we never even uh, published our, I did do a poster presentation for the ACSM. I went to a um, clinic last year uh, pre and presented my poster and there were some crazy nitrate researchers out there that were really knowledgeable about the topic and i was like i just like beets um so yeah inconclusive as far as that goes but we did 
um, I had a lot of fun doing the study. And oh, I had a fan. I, I got to, I got to participate in science, and I brought one of my boys along. That was a fantastic. Yeah, I yeah. yeah, yeah, you did. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah, and I hope that people got something out of it because people got their like sweat test results, and hmm. um, yeah, so it was a it was a good time. And my coworkers are still doing lots of research in like the brain health field, so they do research with like junior football and. Um, watching these kids go play football and see how hard they get hit and um, they have sensors in their helmets. And so it's very important for, um, you know, that's a really hot topic with concussions oh, and stuff for like sure. that right now. So yeah. they're still doing a lot of research, kind of focusing their efforts on junior football and brain health with MMA and football oh, in yeah. general. So, yep. yeah. Interesting. Yeah. No, that was good. I, I, yeah, had appreciated that. And I'm, I'm not all broken up about the results being inconclusive because <laughs> I did not necessarily care for the beetroot juice shots. I don't remember how many I had to take, but it was multiple a day for yeah, a couple of weeks. it was like 11, weeks. I think. It was yeah. a lot. And, and the bad thing is that I never drank them because... You never uh, drank them? No. And oh. I tried to... I asked if we could because they had kind of expired after a while. Mm -hmm. And I think we probably still have boxes of them. Oh my goodness. Um, but the placebo, so the we had to buy a placebo like from Europe and yep. it was like run through a special filter. Those were expensive. And so I asked mm. like if I could try them, you know, once the study was over and then I kind of let it go. Um, but I, I probably should break those out. But yeah, people, um, we said they tasted really good when they were cold and we had people say like, oh, absolutely not. Drink it lukewarm and just shoot it back. <laughs> the, the less I had to taste it, the better. I kind of got yeah. good at just putting it down the, uh, down the hatch. So. People swear by it though. There is beetroot powder out there. <laughs> mm -hmm. um, I'm trying to think if my, the brand was beet. Can, can you just, because you and I know this because we've been through this, but our audience isn't going to, what, what's the hypothesis behind beetroot juice and, and performance? Yeah, so beets are really high in nitrates. So hopefully it's helping improve, but I mean, there's a lot of research out there with like blood pressure, reducing your blood pressure. I think it's a vasodilator. Um, God, I need to go back and look at all the research, but potentially it could improve performance um, through drinking beetroot juice before you would go do a hard workout. And so I, people swear by it before yeah. races or track workouts or hard bike efforts and things like that. Um, and they do make stuff that is a powder, like I said, but you can mix it maybe with some other juice or in a smoothie um, or something. Put it in a smoothie. Um, yeah. You would have to drink a lot of beet juice. The uh, Like this was a, you guys drank stuff that was like a shot. So it was, yeah, really it, was like, it, it was like the size of like a five hour energy or something, yep. but it was yeah. just like really concentrated yeah beetroot juice so if you were to just go out and buy beet juice from the store you'd have to drink bottles of it to get oh, any no. <laughs> any uh, like amount of significance but um if you just buy the powder you get to drink a lot less Got you can it. mix it in with some other stuff hopefully so and you know what i tell people you know it is a beet it is a vegetable so there are a lot of benefits to eating those like purples and reds and those kind of different colors in general mm -hmm. so mm -hmm. you just want to add more nitrates to your diet you can eat beets spinach is really high in nitrates so just eating more like vegetables in general yeah. will help you eat more nitrates you don't have to choke down beet juice yeah yeah well if anything, I've taken away, I need to eat more vegetables because that's the one that you keep coming back to. I definitely <laughs> think that that's probably a big issue. We just don't eat enough vegetables. Is that? Yeah. I was going to say people don't eat enough. And you, 
I think people the, out there, um, they don't even realize that like the serving size is not even that big, you know, like a cup of vegetables is really easy. Like if you were to put broccoli in a cup, it's like three florets, right? So, um, yeah, trying to get more, I just always say, if you can get one or two colors on your plate, then, you know, mm -hmm. that's a good indicator that you have some good nutrition on your plate. So yeah. something you can add versus trying to take stuff away all the time. So pizza night, maybe try to add some baby carrots to the side. Okay. All right. We'll work on that. Your kids will love that, I'm sure. <laughs> Lizzie said we need to eat our carrots tonight. I'm going to yeah. bring that up tonight. <laughs> so what <clears throat> what's next for you, Lizzie? What are some things that you're working on personally, professionally, um, on the horizon for you? That's a good question. This was kind of a weird year just I feel like it went by so quickly since all the COVID stuff but something that was fun that I did over the past year was um, I was asked to teach this intro to nutrition course I kind of got my feet wet with that and so I will be teaching it again in the spring and so I'm going to try to refine some of the stuff that I did because I was kind of flying by the seat of my pants. I really um, appreciated another instructor gave me a lot of her resources. So I'm going to try to tweak some of that stuff for kind of my style of what I taught the kids about and write some original exam questions and stuff like that. Um, I mean, I write all my exam questions. Um, no, I, the book has some it. good resources as well. Um, so I will be working on a lot of that kind of stuff. Um, and then just going forward, I think nutrition, um, you know, I, again, with all the COVID stuff, we've kind of been playing around with doing more of these virtual consults. And so in North Dakota, I'm licensed and South Dakota. So we've done a lot more virtual stuff with North Dakotans and South Dakotans. Um, maybe Minnesota in the future, we'll see, um, kind of in our footprint here. Um, so working more with those virtual one-on-ones, potentially maybe some group stuff in the future, with our wellness centers. Um, yeah. here for the Sanford Wellness Center. So yeah, a lot of hopefully some good stuff coming up in the new year. I feel like it's already, this year has just like flown by, but also crawled by. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah, it's been, boy, it's been a real mix. That That's, that's for sure. But yeah. um, no, it's good. Just a good reminder that even something like nutrition and, and meeting with a dietitian <clears throat> can be done virtually. That, mm -hmm. that isn't, um, while traditionally it's been face to face, I'm sure, and people coming in and uh, sitting with you, we can do that just like just like you and I are today to have this conversation too. So yeah, that's great. And some people, I would say, some people like it more because they can be on their lunch break or in the car waiting for their kid's soccer practice and sit there and. and do the nutrition consult and not have to drive all the way up to my office and meet face to face that way. So a lot of people like it more. So if they have the option, they would rather do it virtually just sure. because it's more convenient. Yeah. Fits in with their life. Yeah. yeah. I yeah. wish I could do everything, go to the dentist, get my hair cut virtually. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> so if, um, if people want, are interested in the services, um, that you are providing, what, what's kind of the best way for people to reach out to you or get connected with, with you? That's a good question. So people can go to sanfordpower.com. I'm going to make sure that that's the website. It is sanfordpower.com. I was like, hopefully it's not .org. So sanfordpower.com has all of my um, contact information on there, kind of a list of all of our different services. So um, it has you know, all the information on the testing that we do, the 
um, strength and conditioning and kind of just our programs in general, we have a lot more to offer, um, including nutrition, but a lot of the stuff that I kind of assist with, with that nutrient, the exercise testing and kind of things for people of all ages. So SanfordPower.com will have all that. Um, awesome. Yeah. I'll link that That's in the show there. notes too, so that people can get connected with those services if they're, if they're interested. Perfect. Awesome. Awesome. Lizzie, it's been fantastic visiting with you today, kind of covered a lot of ground, a, a bunch of diverse topics, I feel like, but it was really uh, fascinating for me and, and I hope that the audience enjoys it as much as I have today. Awesome. Yeah. Thanks for having me. I look forward to listening to it. A big thank you to Lizzie for joining the WellMind community and thank you for spending your time with me today. If you enjoyed the show, please subscribe through your podcast app so that you automatically get the latest episode. I publish new episodes every Monday. Also, consider taking a moment to review the show if you found our discussion meaningful to you. Word of mouth is great too. Please let people know about the WellMind podcast. If you are interested in connecting with Lizzie or learning more about Sanford Power and all they have to offer, please check out the links in the show notes. Many thanks to the staff here in the Bethany Lutheran College podcast studio. Greg, Seth, and Caleb are awesome in providing technical support for the podcast. Special thanks to Lauren McMacken for designing the logo and cover art. Next week, I will be releasing my first solo episode of The WellMind. Issues of burnout and compassion fatigue are topics that I frequently talk about with clients, supervisees, colleagues, and various groups. Healthcare workers, teachers, counselors, pastors, and other caregivers are just a few of the fields at the highest risk for experiencing compassion fatigue. So next week, I share the research and practical approaches for building and sustaining your compassion fatigue resilience. Thanks again for listening, and until next time, be well.